Man, you guys sound good. We are, uh, man, we're so pumped that all of you are here. It's good to see all of your faces. And uh, if this is your very first time to H12, we want to give you a big, big welcome. Pumped that you are hanging out with us tonight. Uh, tonight's going to be awesome. And check it out. If, if, if this is your first time or if last week was your first time here, okay, we got something special for y'all. Okay, we're actually doing after the service a VIP room right next door, VIP room for all the first time visitors. It's going to be awesome. So you want to make sure you, if you're new and the person that brought you. Okay, so you, if this is your first time or second time here and the person that brought you come join us next door. We're going to hang out. We got some food. We got drinks. It's going to be awesome. So VIP room. I think we got a slide for the VIP room. Maybe we don't. We don't have a slide, but it's cool. It's going to be awesome, though, because the food's going to be way better than the slide would be. I guarantee that. So if this is your first time, make sure you join us there. Now, if you have been here before, if you've been here before uh, last week, then you know we started a brand new series called Sola. Sola. And this series is all about our worldview as Christians. In other words, uh, the way that we see the world or really the way that we define normal. And so last week, many of you learned that growing up, I thought it was totally normal to put peanut butter in the refrigerator, and that's not. That's a weird thing. But according to my worldview, I thought it was normal, and so that's what we did, uh, because that was my worldview. And so this whole series, we're asking the question, what is our Christian worldview? Like, as those that follow God, what is our Christian worldview? In other words, how does God, how does God define normal? Now, last week, we talked about Scripture and there was one specific slide that seemed to get some attention. Uh, I got some social media attention. In fact, you know how like Ellen did her selfie thing with all the famous people and it broke down Twitter? You guys know that? This like came in second place for the most tweeted thing ever uh, from last week. This is it right here. Uh, scripture is bay. Scripture is bay. This, like, this literally got the most retweets of anything in my entire life. I felt so important. It was awesome. So scripture is bay. What does that mean? That means scripture is before anything else. Because we know, we know that if we want to know exactly what God is saying to us, we go to scripture. So tonight, tonight we're talking about something that I'm really excited about. Because it's something that whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, this is one of the most misunderstood concepts in our faith. In fact, many of you who have been Christians, I'll say this, the longer you've been a Christian, the more likely it is that you don't understand exactly what we're talking about tonight. At least that's how it was for me. So to introduce this, I want to I tell a cool story. Uh, Catherine and I got married almost seven years ago. Seven years ago, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Still strong, guys. Burpee body strong, marriage strong. It's the same. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so, so when we got married, uh, we were both incredibly young. She had two more years of college left when we got married. Uh, I had just finished college, and we were poor, like crazy. Un like, you can't even imagine how poor we were. And when we were engaged, we did the thing that I think a lot of young, newly engaged people do. Like, we looked at each other, and we were like, you know, we don't have money, but that's okay, because we got love. Like, we're going to be fine. Like, we don't, 
we don't even need money. And then we got two months into marriage and we were like, we need money. Like it's kind of a big deal. Um, because no matter how much you love each other, the rent is still due every month. Isn't that weird? And so anyway, so we were poor. Uh, not only were we not making a lot of money, Catherine was a full-time student, so she didn't have a job. I was working at a temp job making $9 an hour. Some of you make more at Chick-fil-A than I, than I did at the time. <laughs> I wish, yeah, me too. And uh, anyways, I, we weren't making a lot of money. We had a ton of debt. And because of this, we, like, we just never spent money on anything. So we never got Starbucks. We never went to the movies. Like we, did, like, we didn't do anything. In fact, we lived in this tiny little, like, one-bedroom apartment in the ghetto of Athens, Georgia. It was, and there is a ghetto, by the way. We, oh, we know about it, bro. Dude, we heard gunshots at night. Like, this is, this is real, real deal, dude. It was, uh, it was bad. So, so we didn't have a lot of money. And because of this, we, we weren't really able to furnish our one-bedroom apartment. So the furniture we had was like hand-me-down furniture. Um, in fact, actually, it was hand-me-down of hand-me-down. Like, our grandparents didn't want it. That tells you something. They didn't want it, and then our parents didn't want it. And we were like, we'll take it because we don't have a couch, and so we need one of those. And, uh, and so we had this terrible, terrible furniture, but we were kind of making, making ends meet as we could. Now... Uh, we had a small group that we were in, and someone from the small group actually invited us over to watch a movie, which was awesome because that was free. And so we were like, I'm in. Like, it's free. You got popcorn. Awesome. We're there. So we get there, and we show up to their beautiful, like, three-bedroom, two-story house, just this awesome, brand-new house. We walk inside, and they, they literally just finished refurnishing their entire house. In fact, all of their furniture was from Ikea, from Ikea. You guys know Ikea? Yeah, Ikea is like Disneyland for adults. Like, it's, it's just the greatest furniture store on the planet. And it's got like, like it's got weird stuff. Like, it's, it's got something that's like a sink, but it doubles as your bed, and it's also storage. Like, it's all kind of one thing. And then they use machines to test it, like it were like made in space or something. Like, it's just the weirdest coolest thing. So all of their furniture was brand new Ikea furniture. Uh, and so we walk in and we watch the movie and it's, you know, it's pretty cool. And then we get to the end of the movie and they look at us and they said, so, um, so we have something we want to share with you guys. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> you just got real serious. Like what's going on? And they said, so we are, uh, we're going to hike in a, in, a, in a few months, we're going to hike the Appalachian Trail. Uh, which, for those of you that don't know, that's from Maine to Georgia. It's like a six-month journey. Uh, you, you hike every day. You sleep in tents. It's 20 miles a day. Like, it's a pretty intense thing. And then they said, so we're going to hike the Appalachian Trail, and then uh, when we're done, we're going to join the Peace Corps for two years. Uh, bunch of hippies, right? <laughs> like, what are they doing? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so they're, so they're telling us, and they're like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to join the Peace Corps, and so we're listening. And they're like, and... Uh, and we thought about, like, like, selling all of our stuff just to make money and put it in the bank. But uh, we don't want to do that. Um, we actually want to give away our furniture. And so we were wondering if, uh, if you guys wanted our furniture. Woohoo! Yeah. 
That's what I said in my mind, but I was like, no, 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 I got to be polite because there's no way this is real life. Like, this is impossible. And so I was like, man, that's, that's so cool of you, but like, we can't take that. I said, no, seriously, whatever you want. Okay, awesome, we're in. Um, whatever. And, and, and literally, the next thing they did is they took us on a tour of their house. And they said, so here's one bedroom. There was like a bed, furniture, like whatever, you can have that. And then here's the living room, and it's got like a couch and like bookshelves, and that's all yours if you want it. And then here's some chairs. If you want that, that's fine. And they showed us all the furniture and said, you can have it for free. And for those of you that have been to our apartment, there's a few of you that have been to our apartment. The furniture that's in our apartment right now is from their apartment. They gave it to us for free. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, it, it messed me up. Because, because that sort of generosity, like that sort of giving without accepting anything in return, like that doesn't happen, right? Like, like usually when someone gives you something, you want to give them something back. But here Catherine and I are, and we are unbelievably poor. And these people are getting ready to go God knows where and like hike and do Peace Corps, whatever that means. So they're going to be gone for three years. They just gave us their stuff, didn't want any sort of payment. There was nothing we could do in return. We couldn't pay him back. We couldn't pay him back. And so that was a Saturday night that that happened. And then um, the next Sunday I was at church and we were singing all of these church songs and the pastor was talking. And I couldn't pay attention. Because like inside my mind I kept thinking, they gave us furniture. Like that may not seem like a big deal to you, but literally thousands of dollars worth of furniture for free. Just, just given to us. And that just doesn't make any sense. Because the world that we live in, the world works according to cause and effect. The world works by cause and effect. Here's what I mean. If you do something to me, I do something back to you, right? You do something to me, I do something back to you. Uh, this is why it's awkward whenever like someone gets you a Christmas gift and you didn't get them one and immediately you run out to the store and do what? You buy one because we can't, like it's cause and effect. You give me something nice, I gotta give you something nice. You do something to me to me, I'll do something to me to you. Uh, cause and effect. So he here it is. Uh, cause, you don't study for a test. Effect, you get a bad grade on the test. Cause and effect. Cause, you study really hard for a test. Effect, you get a great grade on the test. Maybe, for some of you. Uh, and that's fine. Okay, cause, cause, you disrespect your teacher. Effect, your teacher doesn't like you anymore. Cause and effect, that's the way it works. Uh, here it is. Um, ladies, you know this, right? Like, let's say that you're talking with a guy, or, or maybe you're dating a guy, and he starts flirting with another girl. <sighs> cause. Effect, what do you do? No, you subtweet him and you don't add him. That's what you do. I know this because I watch it happen all the time and I'm like, I know who she's talking about. Right? Cause, cause and effect. Cause and effect. So when you, so when you do something, there, there is a reaction that happens on the other side cause and effect. And the thing is, this is the way life works, right? All of us know this, cause and effect. It's the way life works. Now, we think that because life works this way, that God works the same way. We think that God works through cause and effect. We think he follows the law of cause and effect. And so maybe for you, it's something like this. You know, um, I'm going to read my Bible so that God will love me. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I study my Bible so that God will love me, cause and effect. Or, you know what? I'm going to, it's crazy. I'm going to lift my hands in worship. Okay, no, I'm going to lift my, I'm just going to go up here. I'm not going to go all the way, but I'm going to go right here. In worship, cause, effect, God's going to accept me. God's gonna, or, or how about this? Uh, man, I feel really bad about all the stuff that I've done. I'm going to go a month without drinking. Cause, effect, maybe then God will forgive me. Cause and effect. We think that God works according to the law of cause and effect. And so, and so our spiritual journey often looks like this. It looks like this. Uh, it looks like if I, I think we got it, if, if I don't blank, then God will like me. And I better do blank or God will hate me, right? Like if, if I don't do this, if I, like here's the things I can't do, and if I don't do that, then God's really going to love me. God's going to like me a lot. But if, if, like, I better do these things, these other things that I know I'm supposed to do, or God's going to hate me. Like, this is what we think of God, because everything else in life works the same way. Cause and effect. Now, there's, there's one problem with cause and effect when it comes to God. That problem is, <laughs> if, if God works according to cause and effect, then we're in big trouble. Like, big trouble. Because see, see, according to cause and effect, if you disobey your parents or you do something bad against your parents, then your parents punish you, right? Like, that's what happens. You, you do something bad, they punish you. Um, if you break the law, then the law is what punishes you, right? For those of you old enough to drive, if you break the speed limit, eventually a cop is going to pull you over and you're going to owe a ticket. Cause and effect. That's just, that's just the way it works. You've got to pay the fine. Now, now, if you break the law of God, who is going to punish you? God. And that's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? Because, because think about how powerful uh, your parents are, right? They're pretty powerful. And then think about how powerful the law is. They could throw you in jail. They could arrest you. They could find, they have a lot of power. Think about how much power God has. And so if God works according to cause and effect, and we've broken his law, which, by the way, we have, then that means we're going to be punished by God. In fact, there's uh, an author by the name of Paul who wrote it this way. He said, For the wages, which is the effect, of sin, which is the cause, is death. That's not really hopeful to us, is it? And so if cause and effect is real, then the effect of my cause is death. And that's some bad news for us. And so does God work according to the law of cause and effect? I want to look at a story about Jesus and see how Jesus works. And so let's look together at Luke chapter 23. This is on uh, page 1059. Page 1059. If God really does work in cause and effect, then we are in trouble. And so I hope that's not true. Page 1059, Luke chapter 23. And uh, most of you know this. There was a guy named Jesus. We believe that he was the son of God. And he lived a perfect life. He never messed up, never did anything wrong. And yet, for whatever reason, there were some people that just did not like him. In fact, here's what's funny. The people that were really bad loved Jesus. Do you know that? Like the worst of the worst actually loved hanging around Jesus. 
Do you know who didn't like Jesus? It was people like me. <laughs> so, so like if Jesus came back nowadays, you know who wouldn't like him? It would be all the Christians. We wouldn't really be that big of a fan of Jesus. That's a side, a side note. And so these religious leaders were upset with Jesus. Maybe they were jealous of Jesus. They didn't like his teaching. And so they wanted him executed, even though he had done nothing wrong. And the way they wanted to execute him was the most brutal way you could execute someone. It was through crucifixion. This, this is hands down the most painful way to die. It's slow, it's agonizing, and it always certainly brings death. And so they wanted to crucify Jesus. But here's the thing about crucifixion. See, crucifixion was, um, that, that was the death penalty. So, so you only crucified people who did really, really, really bad stuff. I'm talking mass murderers. I'm talking people that went around and raped people. These were the people that you murdered or that you crucified. In other words, people like, people like Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden. These are the people that you would crucify. The worst of the worst. I'm not talking like bad guys. I'm talking really, really, really bad guys. That's who you would crucify. And so, here Jesus is dying a criminal's death. But he's not alone. There's a criminal to his right and a criminal to his left. And we don't know what these guys did, but we know that whatever they did was bad enough to get them crucified. And so you can guess that they probably raped people. They probably murdered people. They might have murdered more than one person. And here they are dying on a cross next to Jesus. And Luke records a conversation that happens between Jesus and these guys. Look at what happens, starting in verse 39 of chapter 23. So one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, if, if uh, that may not sound like that big of a deal or, or like he's really kind of putting Jesus down, but that's a really bad thing what he just said. In other words, he's looking over at Jesus and he knows that Jesus claimed to be the son of God and now they're both dying on the cross and this criminal says, hey, hey, Jesus, remember when you said you were God? Hey, Jesus, remember when you did all those miracles? Looks like your miracles have run out, bud, because you're not getting off the cross and now you're dying just like us. In other words, you're no better than me. You're dying a criminal's death, just like me. And then the other criminal rebuked him, verse 40. He says, don't you fear God, which translation is like, hey, moron. Um, he said, since you are under the same sentence, and then listen, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, he looks over at Jesus. He says, hey, hey, other guy, chill out for a second. Jesus, I deserve to be up here. In other words, in the world of cause and effect, this is the effect that I deserve. Like, I murdered people, and now I'm the one that's being murdered. I raped and I hurt people, and now I am the one that's being tortured. And in the world of cause and effect, Jesus, this makes sense for me. I am getting what I deserve. This is right for me to die this way. It's right for me to die this way. And then he says this, verse 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, <laughs> and I don't know, 
so obviously he's asking Jesus for a favor. Has anyone ever asked your parents for a favor? Right? Yeah. You've all asked your parents for a favor. And you know this, right? Apparently this criminal didn't know this. When you ask your parents for a favor, what do you do? You start listing all the good stuff you've done, right? Hey, uh, mom and dad, just, just so you know, like, clean my room. No big deal. Uh, I clean my room, and then, like, I did all the homework. At least the homework I want you to know about, right? So, so, so I did the homework, and uh, anyways, can I go do this, right? Like, you start, you start talking about all the good stuff that you did. And then this criminal next to Jesus starts mentioning all the bad stuff that he did. <laughs> in other words, you would think that the criminal on the cross would be like, hey, Jesus, so pretty awkward me being up here on the cross, right? I was obviously arrested, but here's the deal, Jesus. There's this one time that, like, I helped this old woman across the street. I just want you to know about that. And then, um, and then there's this other time that I went to the temple and... I mean, I didn't really, like, pay attention that much, but I was at the temple, Jesus. So just want you to know that. And then, um, and then I thought about killing this guy one time, but then I decided against it. So I just want you to know that before I ask you this favor. Um, so anyways, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? But he doesn't do that. He says, Jesus, when you look at me and you see all of my good stuff and all of my bad stuff, I'm getting what I deserve. You stack up all my deeds together, and the thing that I deserve is death. The wages of sin is death. The effect of my cause of sin is death, and this is what I deserve. And then this guy has the audacity to ask Jesus for a favor. He says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And then Jesus says, no, no. Are you serious? Did you hear what you just said? Bad people don't go to heaven. You should know this. You murdered people. You're a criminal. Like who knows all the stuff that's gone on in your head that you're not even claiming. You don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my forgiveness. You definitely don't deserve to be in heaven. No way I'm going to let you into my kingdom. But Jesus does not say that. In the most bizarre turn of events in Scripture, he looks at this guy and he says, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> and if I were there and I were watching this whole thing unfold, I think I might be tempted to say, Jesus, Jesus, time out for a second. You don't know what he's done, Jesus. You don't know all the bad stuff that he's done. Jesus, if we could rewind the clock to like a few weeks ago, that Saturday night, if you saw what he did, there is no way you would forgive him. There is no way you would let him into your kingdom. Jesus, apparently you don't understand this. Jesus, he's a bad dude. Why? Why would you do this? Why would you let him into heaven? Jesus, why would you do this? And then Jesus would look at him and say, grace. It's grace. And here's the crazy thing. This guy, when he asked Jesus for a favor, you know he was literally minutes away from death? Like there was no bargaining with God. There was no, hey God, if you save me, then from now on I'm going to do this for you. And I just want you to know that, okay? Like when you save me, from now on I'm going to read my Bible, Jesus. And, and, and if you save me, I'm, I promise to never do these things again. This guy was literally moments from death. And Jesus, in his great love, saved him. 
and there was nothing this guy could do to pay Jesus back. And there is nothing you can do to pay God back. Period. You can't do anything to pay God back. There's no level of obedience. There's no, I'm not going to do this from now on, or I'm going to start doing this, that, that all of a sudden equals the love that God has shown you. It's not. See, you can't cause God to love you. The cross is why God loves you. Period. You cannot cause God to love you. The cross is why God loves you. There is nothing that you've done and there is nothing you're going to do that's going to cause God to all of a sudden say, you know what? It's worth it. I'm going to save him. I'm going to save him because he's, he's proved to me now. So I think, I think I'm going to save him. There is nothing you can do. You cannot cause God to love you. The only reason that God loves you, the only reason that God forgives you is because of the cross, period. That's grace. It's a gift. It's a gift. And see, when you, when you get grace, it will mess you up. Like it did when I, got that, when I got that free furniture. I couldn't stop thinking about the grace that those people showed me. And if you get grace, you just can't stop thinking about the love that God shows you. Because there's nothing that you have done to deserve it, and there is nothing you can do to pay God back. That is grace. And when you get this, then your faith moves from a, from a so that faith to a because faith. And this is huge. This may not make sense, but just, just bear with me. When you get grace, grace will move you from a so that faith to a because faith. Here's what I mean. God, I'm going to read my Bible so that you'll love me. That's so that faith. Because faith is this. God, I'm going to read my Bible because you love me. Because you love me. It's, it's the difference between, God, I'm not going to drink anymore so that you'll accept me. Versus, God, I'm not going to drink anymore because you accept me. God, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift my hands in worship so that you will actually care about me. Versus, I'm going to lift my hands in worship because you care about me. When you get grace, you realize it's not about you. It's not about what you have to offer to Jesus. It's about the fact that God offered his son to save you. Period. And there is nothing you can do to pay God back. And I'm telling you, if, like, if we got this, all of us in this room, just, just imagine the difference of how our lives would be. We, we would go from a people that are like filled with guilt and condemnation, like, ah, I better not do this because God's watching, and like, I know he's not going to like me if I, versus like, oh my gosh, God loves me already, and I am free, and I'm no longer condemned. Because God actually cares about me. 
the freedom that comes with that, the freedom from guilt and from shame that comes when you understand grace is amazing. See, we, we read a verse in scripture earlier, Romans 6, 23, but we didn't read all of it. And so I want to read it again. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And see, if you're playing by this cause and effect rule and you think that God's going to play according to this cause and effect rule, trust me, you don't want that. That's the first part of that verse. What you want is the grace, which is God's gift to you. In fact, here's how it's said elsewhere in Scripture. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, God loves you. God's crazy about you, and it has nothing to do with you cleaning up your life or you getting all your affairs in order or you making sure that everything is neat and tidy. God loves you in spite of what you've done and not because he wants you to pay him back. It's because his love for you is that great. You can't cause God to love you. The cross is why God loves you. Let me pray for you. God, I, uh, I'm so grateful for your grace to me. Because at no point have I ever deserved your love. And it doesn't matter how many sermons I preach or how much I read my Bible or how into it I get when I worship or how any of that stuff goes. Your love for me is the same and it is bigger than I can possibly understand. So would you help move these students from a so that faith to a because faith because you have saved them and that should be the foundation of their joy, that should be their freedom from guilt. God, change these students and change me so that I would realize more and more how great your grace is.